we may finally have a genuinely privacy respecting cell plan in beta, which is really exciting if it actually pans out well. Facebook users are gonna have a lot of news to follow this week because there are a lot of Facebook updates. We got some exciting Proton updates and much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 99, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I'm very excited to be here today. So I am Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And as always, we're gonna start with our promo segment, our Patreon. We recently hit our 50 patron goal. So we got 50 of you on there, which is incredible. Currently sitting at 58 out of 100, but we have thousands of listeners a week. So we don't need many of you to hit our next goal of 100. If you're curious what you get from Patreon, you get access to promo free segments in both the audio and video versions. You also get to join our Q&A, which we answer at the end of every report every week. And also you get to support us. And so that is our recommended way to support us for sure, if you want tiers and things like that. But if Patreon doesn't get you going. We also have Monero, which is privacy friendly. There are no tiers or anything like that, but we do see all of your support and we definitely uh, appreciate it very much. And finally, don't forget to join our giveaway. Entries close later this week. Join down below in the description. SR100, we will be announcing winners. So get on that if you want to join the giveaway. And with all that out of the way, we will launch into the news, starting with our highlight story about pretty good phone privacy. The headline says a phone carrier that doesn't track your browsing or location. So this is a company called Invisiv, which was founded by researchers who last year presented a possible solution to protecting mobile phone privacy. I think we may have covered this story, actually. I'm not entirely sure. It kind of rings a bell. They are calling this program pretty good phone privacy, and it is now available on Android in beta. It is available through the Google Play Store. I'm going to quote the article here on the PGPP Mobile Pro plan, which costs $90 per month. Users get unlimited mobile data in the US and at launch unlimited international data in most European Union countries. Users also get 30 random IMSI number changes per month and the changes can happen automatically. So basically one per day or on demand whenever the customer needs one. The system is designed to be blinded. So neither Invisiv nor the cell tower you connect to knows which IMSI is yours at any given time. There's also a mobile core plan for $40 per month that offers eight number changes per month and nine gigabytes of high-speed data. And there's also a service called Relay that's kind of similar to Apple's private Relay. It hides your IP address and it uses Fastly, who is also involved with Apple's private Relay. They are working on an iOS version. And basically, like the, the different plans said, the goal of PGPP is to regularly rotate your IMSI number to help break up the tracking pattern used by cell phone companies and the cell towers that actually track you. So that's the goal of what they're trying to do. So right now this requires an eSIM to work. So a lot of older phones would not be eligible. And again, it's only in beta. If you're like me, when I first saw that headline, my first thought was like, oh, this is a honeypot. But then when I started reading the story, I'm like, uh, okay, maybe there's something to this. There are a couple of well-known names attached to this project like Bruce Schneier and John Caius. I believe that's how I pronounce the name, Callis Caius who are in sort of an advisory role. They're, they're not really like directly involved, but they are contributing knowledge and expertise as needed to the project. This is a really interesting thing. Uh, I'm personally very excited to see where it goes. For those of you wondering why this is exciting, I guess for newer listeners to the podcast, lots of cell plans out there. They use cell tower triangulation to keep track of your location data. They actively sell this information to marketers and anyone who wants access to it, including law enforcement and anything like that. Pretty much everything you do with your cell plan is essentially collected and stored by the cell companies. And so all these claims that they're making are pretty massive. I'm skeptical, but like, I'm willing to watch this to see where it goes. 
And let's go ahead and move into data breaches. Cisco was hacked by a ransomware gang and almost three gigabytes of data was allegedly stolen. This occurred in May, 2022. Cisco claims the attackers could only steal non-sensitive data from a box folder linked to a compromised employee's account. They claim nothing of importance was stolen. This was a result of multi-factor authentication fatigue, where an attacker sent continuous MFA requests in the hopes that the victim will accept one just to stop the notifications, uh, which is a very interesting social engineering attack that I have not heard of before. Cisco has added extra security measures in case of technical document abuse. Our next story, again, Krebs with the great headlines. It says, it might be our data, but it's not our breach. Quoting the article, a cybersecurity firm says it has intercepted a large, unique stolen data set containing the names, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, and dates of birth of nearly 23 million Americans. That's like almost 10% of America. The firm's analysis of the data suggests it corresponds to current and former customers of AT&T. The telecommunications giant stopped short of saying that the data wasn't theirs, but it maintains that the records do not appear to have come from its systems and may be tied to a previous data incident at another company, unquote, which they didn't, uh, explain what what they were talking about when they said a previous data incident at another company. So these contain 28.5 million records, including 22.8 million unique email addresses and 23 million unique social security numbers. No passwords were stolen. And they're guessing this data was probably stolen around March, March 2018 because you have to be 18 to sign up for AT&T service. And if you look at the dates of birth, basically they cut off around March 2000. T-Mobile's not the only one with crap security, apparently. Now AT&T is on the list. And before we get a comment saying that we're promoting Invisive and throwing in these stories to make their competitors look bad. I mean, we've covered bad cell phone stories before, but sure, why not? It's been a long time coming. <laughs> we were playing the long game. Yeah, we were, were psychic. We're, we're playing the long game of, of figuring out what to shill for everyone. Before the product exists. Yep. Speaking of, so we have a 2FA project that's gonna come out in six months that's in the works. Twilio <laughs> has disclosed a data breach after SMS phishing attack on its employees. An attacker used SMS messages with links claiming the passwords were expired or due to change. Currently, only 125 customers were affected and no passwords were stolen. Cloudflare was also targeted but did not suffer a breach because they forced all employees to use hardware keys. There we go, good job, Cloudflare. So lots of privacy lessons here. One, Twilio, who offers their amazing Authy service, which I absolutely adore. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. I, I, if your only option is Authy or nothing, then sure, use Authy, but please move to something that actually uses an open standard and doesn't lock you into their ecosystem. But I find it ironic that Twilio uses SMS 2FA for their own employees when they offer Authy as their own service. And also saying where you work can make you a target because now they were social engineered. And also watch out for phishing attacks. And also hardware keys are kind of the way to go in this day and age if you're trying to prevent phishing attacks, especially as a company. I'd expect more from Twilio. Also, I just want you to know I'm keeping in that joke about a 2FA thing coming out in six months just in case it turns out to be true. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Our next data breach comes from China, where a Chinese adult site is leaking 14 million user details and growing. So this has been ongoing since July, and it is the result of an exposed database without any sort of authentication required to access it. It includes usernames, nicknames, phone numbers, comments, email addresses, bcrypt hash passwords, good on you for that part, login IPs, the messages between users, and member details and login IP address details, whatever those mean. The company has failed to respond to disclosures and attackers are already selling the data online. So remember to be careful what you sign up for. And if you must sign up for something, 
be careful what you put in. Don't use usernames that are like, you know, first initial, last name, things like that. Don't use your real phone number, etc. And here's a fun little story to finish out data breaches. Anonymous poop gifting site was hacked. Yes, you heard that headline correctly. And customers were exposed. So this comes from quite literally shit express. The site was vulnerable to an SQL injection and it has since been fixed. There were only about 29,000 orders in the data, which I think is actually a lot given what they sell. And it contains messages and it's unclear what else the data contained. Just to clarify, apparently the guy said there were like way more accounts registered. That's why there's only 20, 29,000 orders. Apparently not everybody who signed up actually placed an order. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear my account wasn't breached. Moving on to companies. So here's a big story that um, is gonna be a little controversial because we're gonna dive into the details. So the headline says, this is the data Facebook gave police to prosecute a teenager for abortion. So basically what happened is the police in Nebraska, I think this was, went to Facebook and said, we want all of this particular user's messages. And they are using those messages as evidence to charge this teenager for getting an illegal abortion. There's a little bit of context here. Some to be fair, let's put it that way. There's a few like to be fair pieces of context here. Number one, the cops had a warrant. We'll circle back around to that in a minute. Number two, this happened before Roe v. Wade was overturned. So this is not a result of Roe v. Wade. I'll circle back around to that one too. Number three, the termination happened at 28 weeks. So Nebraska has a 20 week deadline. This girl could have gotten an abortion at any point up till then, up till then. And furthermore, at the risk of pissing some people off, 28 weeks is in the third trimester, which is universally agreed by both experts and lawmakers to be the like, you probably shouldn't terminate unless you have a medical reason at that point. And Nebraska actually also has that exception in their law. Like, yeah, if her health was at risk, she could have gone to a doctor and gotten an abortion. Circling back to the warrant, Meta claims that the warrants they received did not mention anything about prosecuting anyone for an abortion. They said the police were, quote, investigating the case of a stillborn baby who was burned and buried, unquote. There are some good lessons we can take away here. So for example, end-to-end -end encryption matters. You know, if Facebook was using end-to-end -end encryption or if they were on a platform that wasn't just a complete dumpster fire, then they wouldn't have anything to turn over anyways. We've seen this with Signal, for example. We've seen this with other people, but like Signal, for example, they've repeatedly gotten warrants and had nothing to turn over. Number two, Meta could have pushed back against the warrant. Tutanota and ProtonMail both have long records of pushing back against warrants, and Meta chose not to. Now, granted, they, the statement they released implied that they would have pushed back if they'd known. Personally, I don't buy that because I'm kind of cynical or whatever. Meta's still not, like, in my opinion, they're still not totally clear here. They could have tried a little harder to be like, mm, no, we're not going to turn over this person's data, but they don't care because they're meta. Even with all the, like, to be fair caveats, I think this story is still really important and really prescient because it shows how your data can be weaponized against you. I don't want to get into whether this, this girl was in the right or in the wrong. Maybe I already did earlier. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's still an important story and, you know, it's still a big deal. But yeah, I don't know if there's much more to say about that, to be totally honest. I think what people need to think about is like, even though this specific story, again, whether or not you agree with what this individual did, let's say it was, theoretically, it could have been 12 weeks in, four weeks in, it could have been any other law that doesn't apply to abortion. Laws change, things that you say in the past don't necessarily mean the same thing in 10 years. I also don't believe that humans are designed to be able to, like, I don't think we're built as a society to to have everything we say and everything be public record 
for our entire lives. So I think that kind of ties into everything for me and it's why I like end-to-end -end encryption because it keeps all that data secure. It makes sure that what you communicate with someone stays between you and them. It's the closest thing you have to having a private conversation with someone digitally. And what Facebook does, and the fact this is even possible is really the problem here, regardless of the story for me. No, I think you summed it up really well. And on that note, Meta just so happens to be expanding Messenger's end-to-end -end encryption. So this is totally unrelated, being sarcastic in case you can't tell. Meta has reminded everyone that they are totally testing a rollout of default end-to-end -end encrypted messages in Messenger, just like they've been promising to do since 2016. So it's definitely coming this time. It's totally not a boy cried wolf situation. It's totally coincidence that they're announcing this right after this, this case made headlines. Total coincidence, definitely coming soon, all that fun stuff. One thing of note, if this is true and they do ever actually roll this out sometimes before the sun explodes, is that allegedly this feature will include zero knowledge backups, which I know is a, an issue with WhatsApp, for example, is WhatsApp puts plain text backups in the cloud. So again, assuming this does ever actually roll out in this lifetime, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it's an issue with a lot of services, including um, Apple. That's my biggest issue with Apple in general, is like everything iCloud related and anything cloud backup related. A personal note on like another reason you should disable iCloud. I remember once I started getting into privacy, I, you know, disabled everything. And you know, when you first get into privacy, like there's some things that get overlooked. And so at one point I realized that I had never like cleaned out my iCloud before I disabled it. And when I went back in there, I found they weren't like inappropriate or anything, but I found pictures of one of my exes and it just kind of like caught me off guard. And you know how emotionally when like that catches you off guard and it's just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, you know, if I had iCloud disabled, it wouldn't have been, a, it wouldn't have mattered, but. Let's avoid iCloud if you're using anything Apple related. Facebook is on a roll this week. So Instagram and Facebook, this is a very big story, can track anything you do on any website in their in-app browser. Before we get into this, let's paint the picture here. You're, you're scrolling on Facebook. I haven't used Facebook in years, so I just work with me if anything I say isn't accurate, but you're scrolling on Facebook. They just went through a UI change three weeks ago as they do every three weeks. And you see a post from a friend that links to something and you click the link and it takes you into an in-app browser within the Facebook app. That's what this is referring to. If you copy that link into any other browser on your phone, you're fine. This only applies to that built-in browser. But pretty much what's going on here is the iOS, Instagram, and Facebook app render all those third-party links and ads within their app using their custom in-app browser, which causes various risks to the user, with the host app being able to track every single interaction with external websites from all form inputs, like passwords and addresses, to every single tap. With 1 billion active Instagram users, the amount of data Instagram can collect by injecting this tracking code into every third-party website open from Instagram and Facebook app is a staggering amount. It's worth mentioning that some researchers have even noticed that what this JavaScript injection they're doing is normally it's classified as malware. That's how invasive this stuff is. Again, with web browsers and iOS adding more and more privacy controls into the user's hand, it becomes clear why Instagram and Facebook is interested in monitoring all this web traffic of external websites. Again, regarding how you can protect yourself, when you click a link from Instagram or Facebook or Facebook Messenger, make sure to click the dots in the corner to open the page in Safari instead. Definitely don't create any accounts or do anything that's sensitive inside of Facebook or Instagram. And also the researcher who discovered this did a little Q&A and he put down, is Instagram doing this on purpose? 
and I just think this is worth outlining. He said he can't say how the decisions were made internally. All he can say is that building your own in-app browser takes a non-trivial time to program and maintain because everything on iOS is built on WebKit. And by default, you just utilize pretty much default Safari. And it's significantly more time consuming to actually do everything that Facebook and Instagram did. So he, he seems to be like heavily implying that there's like, this is obviously on purpose. There's no way they just accidentally threw this in because um, it takes active time to develop all this stuff. And the default is much more privacy respecting. There you go, Facebook and Instagram users. I do think your best bet is to remove the apps from your phone, if not delete them altogether. But if you are still stuck using these for whatever reason, those are your protection steps. Hospital and drug maker move to build vast database of New Yorkers DNA. Mount Sinai Health, the goal is to study treatments for things like schizophrenia and kidney disease. The data, which is DNA, will be anonymized somehow, and only shared with researchers at Regenerin and only sequence about 1% of their genome. They also hope to uncover other data, such as the interplay between genetic and socioeconomic factors, such as poverty or exposure to air pollution. Obviously, that will all be anonymized as well somehow. For 15 years, Mount Sinai has already been building a database called BioMe with 50,000 DNA sequences so far. They attribute the slow progress to constant gathering, and they're hoping to get 1 million samples someday. Other hospitals like the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Geisinger Health Systems have similar programs. Yeah, this is just overall very concerning. DNA is one thing I just don't want to touch. Like, I don't think anyone should be comfortable handing over their DNA. But uh, Nate has a note here. I just wanted to point out with a lot of the stories we cover, it's really easy to sit back from a distance and be like, yeah, this is bad for privacy. And then people are like, well, what if you had a loved one who was affected? I have a family history of Alzheimer's and truthfully, it scares the shit out of me and keeps me up at night sometimes. And I'm not exaggerating. I watched my grandfather deteriorate because of it. Like it, it was not a pretty childhood memory. And they specifically cite this in, in their, their paper is like, yeah, that's one thing we could potentially treat or cure or understand better. So even as someone who is affected by this, I still am in Henry's boat. Like this is DNA. This is like really personal and you can't take it back once it's out there. And I think we should all be at very least extremely cautious and concerned about it. It's just a bummer because there are so many great things that people can do with all this data. Like that's what really irritates me about so much of the world right now is like there is so much good use of the data that's being collected, but so much of it's abused to the point where like we have to have privacy advocates and we have to care about privacy, even if these people have like nothing but great intentions. That's what's really a bummer here. Our next story is a real quick one. It says group of security companies launches open source project to ease data sharing. So this comes from AWS Splunk, who I personally have never heard of, and Symantec, who have launched the Open Cybersecurity Schema Framework or OCSF project. The goal is basically to get feedback from researchers and pen testers and people who work in cybersecurity and share data, not necessarily personal data, but just data about you know the tools and the things they find and stuff like that to improve cybersecurity tools and just generally improve cybersecurity for everyone. We're sharing this because this may end up becoming something important. Obviously it's got some serious corporate backing with people like AWS and Symantec. It may not become anything. We don't really know, it's too early to tell, but just letting you guys know that has been founded. I think they announced it, announced it at DEF CON this week and We'll keep you guys updated if anything more comes out of that. Super quick, Windows 11 encryption bug could cause data loss, temporary slowdowns on newer PCs. This has been patched, but you can't recover data that was already corrupted, unfortunately. 
Nate threw in, we recommend Veracrypt. Uh, Veracrypt does have full disk encryption and you can do encryption locally on Windows as well. Just keep in mind that I guess if stability is what you're chasing, I, full disk encryption via Veracrypt isn't great on Windows, to be honest, for that. Really? No, like... It, I've never had an option or a problem with it. Me neither, but people have. That's fair. If stability is what you're going for, just be careful with Veracrypt. I'm not saying it's going to break, but people have reported some issues that you should just be aware of. Really, the real thing is to always keep backups, no matter what you choose. And our final company story, just a quick one. Microsoft August 2022 Patch Tuesday fixes exploited zero day and 121 flaws. So again, if you're a Windows user, turn on automatic updates, check for updates. And now let's move into the research for the week. One of 5G's biggest features is a security minefield. Pretty much, basically, as 5G rolls out, cities are embracing it more and more as they look to make cities smarter, like tracking bus schedules, streetlights, all that good stuff, but their security still remains, frankly, not great. In 5G IoT devices specifically, researchers found weak or missing authentication, SIM card identifiers, secret keys, identity of purchasers, and billing information. Some of the 10 carriers they tested fixed the issues when they were disclosed, while others were still sticking to the same old bad policies and principles. So as you could expect, IoT, the S stands for security, and this also applies over to 5G as well. Just something we have to keep an eye on as time progresses. Our next story is kind of a quick one. Microsoft blocks UEFI bootloaders, enabling Windows secure boot bypass. So vendor-specific bootloaders used by Windows were found to be vulnerable, while the status of almost a dozen others is currently unknown. As part of this fix, Microsoft has blocked all of the required certificates that were issued with the security update released from July of 2022. So this was discovered by researchers at Microsoft. A lot of the vendors have patched the vulnerability, I believe, and Microsoft is trying to block the other ones. Keep your firmware updated too. You know, that's one that gets overlooked a lot because unfortunately a lot of devices don't automatically update that at this time but it's really important. Make sure you learn how to do that and do it. Here's a fun one. A single flaw broke every layer of security in Mac OS. Very, very clicky headline. So every time you shut down your Mac, a pop-up appears, which asks, are you sure you want to shut down your computer? And then under that prompt is another option most people overlook, which is the choice to reopen the apps and windows you have open now when your machine is turned back on. So everything just kind of seamlessly reboots. Researchers have now found a way to exploit a vulnerability in this saved state feature, and it can be used to break the key layers of Apple's security protections. Lots of cans. The vulnerability could, another can, allow an attacker to read every file on a Mac or take control of the webcam. Apple has already issued two updates to fix this. There's no evidence the flaw has been actively exploited. It's good they got this fixed. It doesn't seem like it was ever utilized. Um, so just keep your stuff up to date, I guess is another, another takeaway here. And our last research story says Diagnostic Robotics has AI catching health problems before they take you to the ER. So this article doesn't really have a lot of technical details because it comes from TechCrunch and TechCrunch, they really focus on more of like the business side of startups and things like that. So one of the key takeaways is that TechCrunch insists this won't be quote, some kind of technotopian nightmare, unquote. Again, there's not a lot of technical details, so I don't know how they're promising that, but they claim that this is totally not gonna be a privacy issue. The AI in question was trained on 65 million, quote, anonymized records. Once again, we're seeing that anonymization myth, especially when it comes to healthcare. On a personal note, I wonder if any of those people knew that they were consented into this. I'm sure they did consent, technically speaking, when they, you know, signed the 500 pages of medical stuff that nobody has time to read. Mainly, we're sharing the story because it's probably going to become a lot more common. 
the article really points out that everyone wins with preventative care. You know, you stay healthier, you spend less money by going to the doctor, the insurance companies spend less money by paying out claims. I guess the doctors are really the only ones that lose out of money because you're seeing them less, but overall everyone wins. So it's really likely that companies will start to invest in, if not this specific company, it's very similar projects like this to save more money. Just be aware that this is on the rise. Politics. Data surveillance crackdown begins with FTC privacy pitch. So the Federal Trade Commission here in the US is seeking public feedback on a proposed rulemaking to limit what it's dubbed commercial surveillance by businesses that sell or share information collected about people with potential new powers to levy fines for data protection violations. That's really the story. Go comment and show your support because history has shown us that big tech is not above using bots to sway public perception. And there's proof of that in the links too. So let's hope that this pans out well and we'll keep you updated in future SRs. So stay subscribed. Our next story comes from San Diego, where we have a privacy win. San Diego citizens wrest control of surveillance tech away from police. San Diego has basically passed a new um, law, uh, amendment, policy, I don't know what it is, but police can no longer make, quote, future decisions about surveillance without oversight. The city will, over the coming year, assemble a board of tech experts and community leaders who will review current and future tech proposals from the San Diego Police Department, and the City Council will have final say over any tech and will review their use annually. So this is good. We're getting some oversight for this kind of technology. Hopefully they will get some really good tech experts on this board who will know about this technology and, and the dangers of it and stuff like that. And hopefully they're not overwhelming themselves by having to review every single piece of tech, because I can already see that being a potential drawback. Parliamentary committee to begin study of RCMP's use of cell phone spyware. This is an update to a previous story. The title says it all, and we will keep you updated. This is based in Canada. And our final political story for the week comes from Australia, ironically, where Google has been fined 40 million, I believe that's US dollars, for misleading location tracking settings on Android. So this began in October of 2019, and it centers around the idea that Google led people to believe that the location history setting was the only setting in Android that affected location data. But in reality, there's another setting called web and app activity that also used location data. So if you wanted to like shut off location data or like tell Google to stop storing it or delete it, you had to visit both of those. And a lot of people didn't necessarily know that. So Australia has ruled in favor of the people and they are fining Google $40 million. We'll now move into FOSS, free and open source software. And we got two stories from Proton and they're both very exciting. The first one says, join the Proton calendar beta for iPhone. Yes, for those of you who are not aware, Proton has this philosophy where if an app is ready to be released, they just go ahead and release it, even if that means it is a very inconsistent experience for everyone else. So for those of you who are on Android and you're like, wait, iPhone didn't have calendar? Yeah, iPhone didn't have calendar. And now it does. That's just how they roll. Hold that thought, actually, because we're going to come back to it. So this is in beta. I've actually joined in. I signed up as soon as I saw this and I got the invite like two or three days later. Other than lack of a widget, in my opinion, it seems pretty good so far. It loads pretty fast. I can add new events. I can't create new calendars on the fly. I have to go into the web UI and do that, but it seems like a good start. And on the topic of inconsistent experiences, we forgot to mention this one last week. Proton Drive is now available for Android. This is available in the Play Store. So if you're de-Googled, you may have to use Aurora or download it. I think there's an APK for it. So far it's on Android, not on iOS, go figure. Seems okay. I haven't played with it a whole lot. I think I like deleted one file that I forgot was in there, but if you're a Proton user and you're waiting for these features, by all means, go check them out, go test them out, go help make them better. 
Okay, so for the record, if anybody from Proton happens to watch this, the reason that I'm so critical of this is because now it makes me, like, it's not with something like Signal, where if somebody's like, man, I, I want to have a sensitive conversation with somebody, what should I download? And I'm just like, Signal, full stop, end of conversation. There might be other considerations there depending on their situation. But with Proton, you know, I can't just tell people, they're like, man, I really want to get out of the Google ecosystem. What can I use? I can't just be like, oh, go use Proton. Because then I have to be like, okay, so Proton's getting there. Do you have iOS or Android? Because depending on which one you have, you might have access to certain features on mobile. You might not. Depending on what you pay for, you might get the drive. You might not. Like, it's just, it, it comes with so many caveats and it's really frustrating when I'm trying to recommend the service to somebody and I have to play 20 questions and like do a background check to figure out if they can even get the features that they want. Misfits. 7-Eleven stores in Denmark were closed due to a cyber attack. This affected 175 stores. I didn't know 7-Eleven had such a large uh, international presence, but 175 stores were closed. It made their cash registers simply unusable. They are still unusable, and the stores are now using alternate options, such as cash or mobile pay. At this time, no evidence of data was stolen, but stay tuned. And it's always a good reminder that cyber attacks sometimes are a lot more than just data. This stuff can actually impact real things and we're seeing that more often. So be careful and prep. If you're reliant on your local 7-Eleven, what would happen if 7-Eleven near you shut down for a week? On a serious note, it also may not be a bad idea to just carry a 20 with you. Like I know we're living in an increasingly cashless society, but their registers went down and now they're taking cash. So, you know, I'd, I'll, I'll admit, I don't carry cash as much as I should from a privacy or a prep perspective. And so like, I've definitely had times, I've, it's only happened once or twice, but I've had times where like, I go into a gas station to like buy something and they're like, oh, the system's down, we can't run card. And I'm just like, well, I guess I gotta go somewhere else because I'm an idiot and I'm not carrying cash. Our next story says, hackers are stealing credit cards from classified sites. So this is just kind of an interesting evolution of cybercrime. Basically, scammers will find an item, they will say that they want to buy the item, and they will send a link that looks like it's part of the actual website. Maybe they'll say like, oh, here's proof I paid or something, something like that. And when the person clicks on it, it looks exactly like the website they're on, you know, whether it's eBay, Craigslist, whatever, Etsy. And it basically just says like, yeah, you've, you've got money, like click here to, you know, initiate a payout and receive the money. And then, you know, when they click on it, it asks for like, you know, bank login or, or credit card details or whatever. This is a fairly automated thing, but basically it happens in real time. The attackers will be able to steal the login, the two-factor and all that stuff and get your financial info. The best defense in this case is uh, just to be familiar with the platform itself. Know how they handle fund transfers, know how they handle payouts, because like if, if I'm using, um, you know, PayPal is something I'm unfortunately familiar with, familiar with, and I get one of these sites, if it doesn't look a certain way, I'm going to notice that. I'm going to be like, this isn't usually how I initiate payouts. Just know how things work. Our next article is more interesting in my opinion than anything else. And it's a bit of an editorial. It says when not even the prime minister's phone is safe. So this comes from Malaysia where the prime minister has had not one, but two messengers hacked in the past week. I think one of them was signal. And I think the other one was telegram, but I could be wrong about that. And not only that, but the foreign minister was also compromised. I don't know if it was a messenger hack, but uh, something happened on his phone as well. So that one's really frustrating because like they're high level people. They're, you know, state leaders. You'd think they would have a little bit better uh, practices and OPSEC and stuff like that, but apparently not. The reality is if you have a, if you have someone like the NSA coming after you, it's only a matter of time before they break in. It doesn't matter how good your practices are. 
So we just don't know the context here. And also before people ask, no, they didn't hack Signal. They didn't break into Signal or Telegram. They likely hacked into the device. the phones themselves. Yes, the phones themselves are breached. Well, if your phone's breached, it doesn't matter if you have end-to-end -end encryption or any of that. Like that's kind of the misconception there. For the record, there is more information in the article, but Henry's right. Like the problem with a lot of these smaller stories out of other countries, and I appreciate when you guys send them to me, but like a lot of the time it's hard for me to find more information because they're in other languages. And like, you know, I may not know what's a reputable source and what's not. So things like that. But so that happened this week. And last but not least, this one is not really privacy related, but I had to share it because it's so fun. The headline says, man who built ISP instead of paying Comca Comcast $50,000 expands to hundreds of homes. They say, if you want something done right, do it yourself. But oh my God, this guy takes it to a whole new level. A man founded his own internet service provider because Comcast wanted to charge him $50,000 to run fiber to his home. And he was like, you guys are high. So he ran his own damn fiber and apparently went through all the proper channels and everything to become his own ISP. And now he's been approved for $2.6 million in government funding to expand his service to other rural homes in the area. That is like my favorite story. I think I might go like find this guy's Twitter or something and follow him just to keep updated on this drama. Cause like, that is the most amusing thing I've read all week. I love that story so much. And with that, we'll move into the Q and A section. And we had only one question this week that came from Aaron. And specifically, this question was for me, but of course, Henry's welcome to weigh in if he wants to. You don't like me, Aaron? What do you have against me, Aaron? <laughs> Aaron says, I was reviewing the new oil section on securing computers, and you mentioned downloading Windows Spy Blocker. I was wondering if you could speak more on the credibility of trustworthiness, as a few vendors from Virus Total have flagged it as malicious, and I'm not familiar. My antivirus expires soon, and I want to make sure I have everything in place if I'm to go without one, as the new oil recommends. So, yeah, we just to tackle that last part, we generally, if you're on Windows, we generally don't recommend a third-party antivirus unless you have a specific use case for it because Defender has come a really long way and it's usually totally fine as long as you're you know, not out there clicking every link you see and stuff like that. As for Windows Spy Blocker, I mean, I, I will be honest, I can only speak to my personal experience. I use it. I've never had any issues. I've never seen any evidence of compromise. I've had issues with like Microsoft Teams being blocked. So beware of that. There are things like that, but I've, I've never seen any evidence of malware. I've never had any... Uh, flags from Defender or anything like that. I will say that the security people are right in the sense that like every third party thing you add to your computer is technically a risk. Windows Spy Blocker could someday be compromised, push out something malicious. So you do have to be careful with this kind of stuff. But at this point in time, I use it, I like it. I've never seen any evidence of compromise. And personally, I think it's worth it to get just a little bit more telemetry blocked on my Windows machine when I have to use it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking right now and it looks like they, uh, on, on their own website, it's all open source. They have a virus total GitHub action analysis for the executable. Which I think is what Aaron was talking about. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you might get false positives. That's pretty normal with antiviruses. That's kind of a big issue with antiviruses too, is the false positives can give you that. That's all I have to add, but you probably didn't want to hear that anyway, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, that was it for Q&A. So thank you, Aaron, for the question. Uh, we appreciate more questions if you have them. I know like it comes in phases. So like the big weeks, you guys leave 10 comments so we can only get back to three. And then the next week we only get one. And then we're like, we need more comments. So 
we're, we're trying our best here to get the best ratio. But with that all said, that's it for this week. We may have finally that genuinely privacy respecting cell plan in beta. Facebook, I hope all you Facebook users got all those updates that are necessary for you. We got those Protana updates and much more. Again, over on our Patreon, we hit our goal of 50 patrons. So we're at 58 out of 100 for our next goal. So we only need about 40 more people to hit 100 and we have thousands of listeners. So like each one of you can really help us out in hitting that next goal. And again, if Patreon, if you don't like it for whatever reason, from a privacy perspective, from just a general perspective, whatever your reasons are, we also have Monero that you'll see on the screen right now and in the description, which is just a direct contribution method to us. So we appreciate all the contributions you guys make. We see them all. We don't know who you are though, but thank you all so much. And also don't forget our giveaway. Entries close again later this week. So join that giveaway ASAP if you want to win some amazing privacy and security goodies. And just to finish things out, thank you all for listening to the surveillance report. The final thing we want to ask all of you to do is to share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed and give us a rating if you're on a platform where that is an option. We do see the reviews and also we just appreciate the extra presence that that can provide us in some situations. And we also just want privacy to reach as many people as possible. So you can help us do that by sharing it around and sharing a story with someone you know or anything else you can do to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and see you next week.